today we're in part four of a four-part series where we've been talking about screens. And one of the things we did as we launched this series, we talked about how back in 2007 when we started this church, that was the year also the iPhone came out. And our first church phone was an iPhone, but that's pretty much where I peaked in terms of my um, tech uh, I don't know, early adoption goes. I created a little bell curve here, highly scientific, perfectly to scale or, or, or not. But, but if this represents here the, the a bell curve regarding how cutting edge people are and how many people are out there on the cutting edge of today's technology, way down here on the far cutting edge, we've got Silicon Valley executives who are just on top of everything that hasn't even come our way yet and is coming. So that would be out here. Here in the middle, this is how bell curves work. That's where most people are, right here. Right here, you got grandmas in Nebraska. And then to the right of them, you have me. All right, so, so when it comes to tech, um, I'm not the, the, the techiest person out here. But, but the reason that I wanted to put that graph there for you is that when it comes to tech, most people can agree that today's tech is amazing. It is so amazing. The things that have been created that are so useful, you you can't even count them anymore. There's so many great useful things. And there's things that are so much fun. And there are things that are now getting so portable. So there's, there's unlimited things we could talk about as far as how great these things are. And people pretty much everywhere on the continuum could testify to that. But, but one of the other things that people everywhere on this continuum are also starting to say is that there's some things we need to be concerned about as well. That this tech is so powerful and it's so amazing and it can do so many things that we also have to be careful about how much we're using it and the ways we're using it because there's a whole lot of challenges if we misuse these devices. So what we did is we devoted four weeks, which is a ridiculously small amount of time, but we, re- we devoted four weeks as a church where we, we said, let's talk about this. What are some guardrails that we can put in place? so that we can enjoy these things and we can put them to good use, but we'll put some guardrails in place so that we don't misuse, so that we don't go too far to one extreme or another when it comes to these devices. And one of the things that we've been doing along the way is in your bulletins each week, we've had this yellow insert. And this yellow insert so far hasn't had much content on it because we've been developing the content as we go. Each, each one of these four sections is one of the four weeks of this series. And in week one of the series, what we did is we talked about why we're talking about this. And I came across this, this quote as I was reading and preparing for this service, that, this, this series, that I think is really good. The, the quote is this. It says, technology is ecological. It's not additive. I love that quote. That when you introduce uh, technology into a household or into a system, it changes everything, not just some things. Let me give you an example of this. Um, Let's say you introduce electricity into a house for the first time. That is very different than adding an ingredient to your guacamole. It's a very different thing. Electricity can do a lot of amazing things. And over the years, We've designed some guardrails as a culture and as individuals to help us make the most of electricity while still protecting ourselves and avoiding some of the consequences of misuse. We insulate wires and devices to keep ourselves from getting shocked. We put those little plastic caps in the outlets, right, to protect kids. We've learned there's some places where electricity just doesn't belong, like in the bathtub. You'd think after all these years, you wouldn't have to give that reminder, wouldn't you? 
And then we install things like circuit breakers to cut off the flow of electricity if something goes wrong. Well, when it comes to screen-based devices, we're still in the Wild West because we haven't figured out as individuals or as a culture where these guardrails should be placed if you want to experience a happier and healthier, more God-honoring life in the future. Where do you place those guardrails in the now to help us get there? So that was week one. And then in week two, Pastor Jason took on the topic of content guardrails. And he had the question, you know, how do we avoid careless consumption when it comes to the content itself? And then last week, we talked about proper place guardrails. And we tried our best to answer the question, how do we keep um, from from technology invading spaces where it doesn't belong. So each week we've been building this, this, um, this, this tool. And as you look at these things that now I've tried to put some little placeholders in there, these aren't meant to be, now you go post this on your refrigerator and this is your, 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 your guardrails. This is meant to be a starting point. Take maybe some of these as idea starters and make them your own as you try to develop healthy guardrails. Well, the one that we're going to address then today in this teaching is we're going to do the best we can to talk about calendar guardrails. How do we avoid spending too much time on these things? Well, before we dive in, I I want to take just a moment to talk once again and say this is really, 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 really important. One of the things that's killing me is I've I've read hundreds of pages trying to prepare for this thing, and, and there's entire books that are devoted to just one of the issues you know, of, of, of what tech is doing if it's being misused. So here's a ridiculously brief approach or a brief categorization of some of the categories of concern. So here we go. And there's a place to write this in your notes. In your bulletin today, you should also have a green insert. And this is an outline of what we're talking about today. So I'd encourage you to pull that out. And here's um, where we'll start. A lack of helpful screen guardrails can undermine your happiness. Now, if you think short-term, screens do a great time, great job of giving you a hit of entertainment or bliss or, or whatever or distraction. But too many of those hits now has been proven to undermine deep and lasting happiness, deep and lasting peace, deep and lasting fulfillment, and deep and lasting joy. Here is just one of literally thousands of sources that I could cite. And they're talking here about teenagers, but this... I think applies to most all of us at any age. This source said this after looking at all the research. They said, you might expect that teens spend so much time in these new spaces with their devices because it makes them happy. But most data suggests it does not. The results could not be clearer. Teens who spend more time than average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy. And those who spend more time on average on non-screen activities are more, to be, more likely to be happy. Of course, it's possible that unhappy teens spend more time online. But recent research suggests that screen time, in particular social media use, does indeed cause unhappiness. The more time teens spend looking at screens, the more likely they are to report the symptoms of depression. While those who play sports and go to religious services and even do homework more than the average teen cut their risk significantly. So there's one category of concern. The more you're watching, the more you're viewing, the more likely you are to be unhappy. Well, here's another broad category of concern, and that is health. 
And there's a place to write this in your notes. A lack of helpful screen guardrails can undermine your health. And here's the thing about health. Not just one aspect. Every measurable aspect of your health can be undermined by an abuse of screens. Physical, emotional, social, financial, mental. And this is why wise people on this bell curve, wherever they are, they're starting to speak up. And they're starting to say, hey, we should develop some guardrails here to keep ourselves on track for happier and healthier lives. And this is especially true from people on the leading edge. This was what was so surprising doing the research for this series was how many people way out on the lead edge, Silicon Valley executives, how many of them are saying, we got to rethink this. We got to rethink this. Here are some quotes, some direct quotes from Silicon Valley executives themselves. This is from a former VP at Apple. He said this, he said, I wake up in cold sweats thinking, what did we bring into the world? A lot of the designers, listen to this, they're reflecting now back. They said a lot of designers and coders, they were in their 20s. They were single white guys. That's all we had pretty much on our staff. They were, they were in their 20s when they're creating these things. And now they've got kids. And they see what's going on and they say, oh, wait a second. And they start to rethink their design decisions. Dan Nimlaw sent me an article about Silicon Valley executives from tech companies like Google, Apple, Yahoo. And they're sending their kids, their own kids, to elite schools that don't even introduce screens until eighth grade. That's where they're sending their kids. Here's a quote from one of the articles, that was the, that, or the one that Dan referenced. Not a computer to be found. No screens at all. They're not allowed in the classroom, and the school even frowns on their use at home before eighth grade. These are the people that are creating these things. And so they asked one of the Google executives, they said, Hey, Mr. Google executive, you, aren't you afraid your kids are going to fall behind? And he laughs. He says this. He goes, It's super easy. It's like learning to use toothpaste, he says. At Google and all these places, we make technology as brain-dead easy to use as possible. There is no reason why kids can't figure it out when they get older. More people, more and more people at every point on the bell curve are realizing that if you want a happier, if you want a healthier life, you want to put some guardrails in place. Well, on the far what would be the far uh, right end, right end of the bell curve, Mr. Stuck in 2007, would also add this to the mix. I would say, yep, agree with the happier. Yep, agree with the, the healthier. And I would add this, and there's a place to write this in your notes. A lack of helpful screen guardrails can undermine a desire to live a God-honoring life. I'd add that. One of my mentors, who's known me since I was a kid, he once told me this, and I asked him, I said, you know, can you tell me, uh, you know, as I start to have kids of my own, what, what's your best advice when it comes to raising happy, healthy, God-honoring kids? And without even a second hesitation, he said this, he who, who, he who spends the most time wins. He who spends the most time wins. And I think it's important, I think it's very important to expose ourselves and expose our kids to different perspectives. I'm not saying, you know, avoid that. What I'm concerned about as a pastor and as a parent is how many voices are not just saying, here's my opinion, let's discuss this, but they're behaving in very manipulative ways. 
Today's screens are filled with highly influential people who are creating highly persuasive content that misrepresents the God of the Bible. And they say, oh, this is what God says, or this is what Jesus says, and, and it's not. Or they, they, they have content that mocks many of the core tenets of our faith. A lot of today's content shames people who try their best to speak the truth in love. A lot of today's content makes ridiculously faulty logic sound reasonable. And there's a lot of content that unfairly frames narratives to the point where real love and real compassion and real justice no longer fits the definitions that people are using today. When you consider the amount of time that highly influential people are pouring highly persuasive content into underdeveloped hearts and minds, it shouldn't come as any surprise at all when we reference stats like we've referenced many times in this service that only two out of ten of today's kids who are growing up in churches are going to be a part of the church family in their 20s. He or she who spends the most time wins. That's why we've devoted today to talking about how much time are we spending with these devices and how can we put some guardrails in place that are wise. Well, just under 2,000 years ago, a follower of Jesus named Paul wrote words that are as, as applicable today as they were when the ink was still dry. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we're going to spend most of our time here today. And if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you um, to bring one home with you. We keep a, a stack of Bibles there on the table, and we'd love for you to take one home absolutely free today. We're going to look here <clears throat> first at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And it says this. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles open, leave it open because we're going to come back and we're going to look at the context surrounding this content in just a few minutes. But what I want to do first is I want to zero in on a best practice. And the best practice that I want to start with is a best practice that is trending among Christians. And it's also trending among people who don't identify as Christians. There's common ground here. This is a, a best practice that a lot of people are lining up around. And the best practice involves developing what they call stop cues. Stop cues. Uh, when we launched the series, we sent you a link in the ECC mail to a little short 10-minute TED Talk. And he talked about these stop cues the presenter packed a lot of great content into his short presentation. And one of the things he did was to graphically remind us of how little discretionary time we got at the end of the day. And he had this bar graph and he, and he used blues and he used white and he used red. And in the blue sections, he had this big section that he said, this is how much sleep we need, right? And so he had that section and he said, okay, take away that. And then you've got the section of work or school. Put that on there. And then he said, there's this section I'm going to call survival, you know, eating and, and, and just taking care of yourself. And then when he was done, he had this little tiny section of white that he said, this is how much discretionary time you've got. And you want to use it really, really wisely. And then he added some red. And he said, this is how much, to, uh, if you've got this much discretionary time, now screens are taking up this much. And so I don't have the graph, but what I got is this hourglass because I'm old school, right? 
And so imagine this hourglass is all the time that we've got in a day. And, and this thing starts up here and it starts pouring out as soon as, as a new day begins. And by the time you get done with sleep, if you're getting the amount of sleep that you need, and by the time you get done with work or school, by the time you get done with just the survival stuff, you have less sand than it's got left here. That's the discretionary time that you've got left. And so you want to put some guardrails around that, especially when most people are filling that time with content that isn't making them happier long-term and isn't making them healthier long-term. You want to be very, very careful. And so what he said is, is one of the things we want to rediscover is stop cues. And there's a place to write this in your notes. Wise people are rediscovering stop cues. This isn't something new. It's something that we basically lost as a society. You know, it used to be the sun went down and you could only burn candles so long so you went to sleep when the sun went down or you started to shut things down. Now we have electricity. So we need stop cues to tell us to turn off the lights. It used to be when you'd watch a TV show, some of you remember this, the show would end and you couldn't watch it until it came back next week, right? It was crazy. It was something that used to happen. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you could see it once a year. You had this little window right? To, to watch it. There was a stop cue. When the show was done, it was over. Well, now you can certainly find ways where the show doesn't end. It's commercial free. It just flows into the next one. And you have to develop your own stop cues. When do I shut this thing off? And when do I go to the bathroom? Right? And, and they used to have these things called magazines and newspapers. And you'd read what was happening in the world and then you get to the end of it. And that would be all until the next day or next month. Well, now you go to a news feed you can just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and then hit a link and then there's a new scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. We have to develop our own stop cues. When do you put the thing down? When do you put it down? And wise people are rediscovering these. And so what I did on the back of your green outline today is I gave some samples of some stop cues that you may choose to adopt. I would encourage you to try this, to develop things that happen. And I've got a category of daily stop cues, things that happen every day or should happen every day, possibly that you just say, this is now a time when I put my device aside. And so here's some example of those. For instance, waking up. How many of you wake up every day? Okay. So perhaps you could use that as a cue instead of the first thing you do of grabbing your phone and, oh, here's the chaos. Here's the drama. What if instead of that, We started a day before we look at any screen. We just say, God, thank you for a start of a new day. I'm here. Please help me to to bring a little more redemption into this broken world. And then um, there's a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary that we we referenced in a previous um, series, but I I brought it back to your notes today. That book does a great job of, of saying how do we have our whole day be lived under the kingship of God. And they talked about in the morning, they said, Try to find a way as you get started in your day to bring a little order from chaos. You know, isn't that what God did when he created? He brought order from chaos. What if we started each day to say, okay, God, help me to be an agent of positive change in this world. And we found some little area, whether it's making our bed, whether it's, it's, it's taking care of our bodies, whatever, where we just said, God, help me to be about fixing what's broken today. Imagine how different our framework for our whole day would be if we use that stop cue to say, I'm not going to have electronics, but I'm going to start it like that. And there's all kinds of other times you could. How many of you spend at least some time in a car or a bus during the day? Okay, what if that was a stop cue on a short trip? What if you said, this is a time where we have conversation or I have silence or whatever. Conversations. What if when we were in a conversation, that was a stop cue, it really should be a stop cue to fully engage with that person 
rather than to be distracted. Outside time. We live in Minnesota. What if when we stepped outside, that was a stop cue, put our devices away and, and, and let our senses soak in the wonder of God's creation? What if meals became more of a stop cue? If we're in, in, with other people, we have conversations. If we're with ourselves, we at least stop long enough to say, God, thank you for this food and to savor it, to savor it. What about book time? There's a whole nother series here. Because one of the big concerns, and people are writing entire books about this, which is ironic, but, but there, we're, 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 we're losing, they said, the capacity to think complex thoughts. We're getting really good at scanning, really, really good at filtering. We're getting really bad at thinking complex thoughts. And then bedtime. What if we began our wind down early? That was the time to put things away. These are some examples of daily stop cues. And here's some others. I have another category in there too of, of other things that could be stop cues that maybe you do once a week or once a month or a couple times a year. Things like Sabbath rest, getting away from any screen-related work for at least 24 hours a week. Sunday worship. Most of us are so good at this when we come on Sundays. We don't just isolate and we find a chair where we just start doing this, but we look for ways to engage. Family time to be fully present. Important life events to be fully present, vacations, to set guardrails in advance so that we don't waste our, our vacations away, and then retreats. I'm a huge fan, huge fans of doing retreats well. Here's what a psychologist and pediatrician wrote in my new favorite book on parenting called GIST. They wrote this. They said, youth treatment programs see amazing growth in kids simply by taking them away from electronics and forcing them to narrow their focus to living in the real world with no access to outside stressors. The transformation is incredible. Here's another a source. They say this that, that I think relates well to retreats. A good portion of the Christian life requires the ability to concentrate and focus on ideas over long periods of time. Spiritual depth requires the ability to pray for more than a few minutes, to read and memorize scripture, not search for it online, and to love God with our hearts and our minds. This means we must be careful to cultivate and retrain, retain the skill of deeply reading and deeply contemplating the things of God. Well, if we were going to stop here with the series, we'd be done pretty much for today. Because if I had to give you one helpful thing when it comes to how do we make sure that screens aren't taking over all of our time, it would be the stop cues. I think that is a great thing. I'd encourage you to find some in your life and, and apply those. But because this is not just the, uh, we're not just taking on that topic, but this is also the close of a series, I want to bookend this series by going a step further. And that's to take us a little deeper into Ephesians. So here's something I'd encourage you to write as we start to go that direction. The scriptures invite us to make the most of every opportunity. The scriptures invite us to make the most of every opportunity. The TED Talk guy that I referenced earlier, he did a really good job of reminding us to make the most of the tiny amount of discretionary time that we've got. I agree with that. Make the most of that. You know what the scripture encourages us to do? Scripture encourages us to do this. To take the whole thing. 
and lay it before God. To take all of our life and say, God, not just the discretionary time, I want to be wise with that, but God, help me to make the most of every opportunity. One of the things that we've referenced here before in this um, service is how the Hebrew day begins with sundown. What if we began to see sleep as an opportunity and see sleep for what it really could be, that we start with rest? What if we could begin to have this framework where we say, God, we pray for a restful night's sleep, and more than that, we're so thankful that you're going ahead of us, that I don't have to go into that new day alone but you're even going ahead of me before my day even starts. And you're at work. You who never needs to sleep, but you who chose to rest. What if we had that framework? And when it comes to our work, when it comes to our school, what if instead of saying, I can, I can do the God stuff when I'm done with that, what if we said, God, how do I honor you? How do I do my best here? Because isn't that what the scripture says? Whatever you do, you know, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what if we, what if we looked at our lives like that. And when it came to the taking care of ourselves, what if we pressed into that and said, God, help me to take good care of my my body. Thank you for these reminders of how frail and weak we are and all of those things. What if all of it, we brought it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then, I think that gives a better framework for devices because now devices can be ways to help us with those things. And devices can be ways of, of helping us to access the best elevating content that the internet has to offer as we go through our whole days. There's a right expectation that those who identify as Christian will follow in Christ's footsteps. We're going to look here at Ephesians 5 in just a minute, but I want to start with Ephesians 4.17 that says this. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. And when they're talking about the Gentiles, they're talking about people who don't fear or love God. So they're saying, that you must no longer walk as they do in the futility of their minds because we're called to follow Jesus. If you identify as Christian, you're supposed to follow Jesus. And there's some right expectations with that. And that brings us to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 opens in verse 1 with this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Gentile writers of Paul's day couldn't cite any examples of a holy and all-powerful God who lovingly sacrificed himself for his people. Early Christian writers could. And they called this good news the gospel. And there's a place to write this in your notes. The gospel reminds us that God is for us. That God is for us. In fact, you say those last two words with me when I get to them. The gospel reminds us that God is for us. Don't forget that. Because it will be a sacrifice to do the things that Ephesians and elsewhere tells us to do. We're going to have to sacrifice our desire for entertainment. We're going to sacrifice our desire to be approved of by all those around us. There will be some sacrifices. And, And that was something that the ancients were familiar with. They were familiar with sacrifices. But it didn't come from a God who was for them. Anything that God asks us to do is ultimately going to be in the best interest of this creation that he created. So we want to keep that in mind. God is for us. Our family's got some hard conversations tonight. My family does. Because we're going to be talking about these guardrails. And we have been really sloppy on guardrails in our home. And it is going to feel like an addiction that we are going to have withdrawals from. 
we are going to be going upstream against strong cultural currents, it's going to be hard. And when that time comes, remember that God is for us in those moments. And let's be for us and for each other too. Let's have this be a place where we can be honest, where there is no shaming, there's none of that stuff, that we're cheering one another on, all right? And we're honest about our struggles. Can we do that? All right, let's be, God is for us, let's be for one another. God has pointed us to a path, and that path is lined with helpful guardrails that are designed to lead us home with minimal regret. And Ephesians is filled with practical, helpful, very countercultural guidelines designed to help us live happier, healthier, and more God-honoring lives. Here we go, verse 3. Some of these guardrails start showing up. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper for the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. We're instructed to avoid participating in anything that even hints of sexual immorality or impurity or the kind of things that stir up jealousy within us. Vulgarity, crude joking, they're out of place for God's people. Instead, thanksgiving should be one of our trademarks. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In numerous places, numerous places, the scriptures reference kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. And there will come a day when all will be as it should be. And that's one aspect of the kingdom. When Christ comes back and everything is as it should be, that's going to be the kingdom of God. There's also the kingdom of God that is present right here, wherever someone does that with their life. And they put their life under God's kingship. That's also the kingdom of God. And that's one of the marks of a sincere disciple. Are you willing to do what God asks us to do and trust him? Which is one of the reasons why disobedience and allowing things that we desire to function like idols, that's why it's called out here. Because that should be the given, right? That if we are going to identify as Christian, that we walk as Jesus walked. We can't serve God and as much as we'd like to. We serve God above all. That's what we're called to. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Now, this principle right here is going to be a really hard one for us as a family. This whole principle of don't let people deceive you. Because one of the things that we're trying to do in our family is make sure that we are listening to other perspectives. Our family, we want to be seekers of truth. That is very, very important. That's a high value for us. So the tension is, how do you remain open to truth and listen to other perspectives without being deceived and manipulated? How do you do both of those things? So we're really wrestling with that. I took my best shot at putting down a concise approach to this in your yellow sheets. Here's what I wrote on your yellow insert to this end. As a family, this is one that we're going to try to adopt. It's going to be hard and we'll probably tweak the language, but this is one of the things that we're going to try to adopt in our household. We will not use technology to hurt or mislead or deceive or disrespect or slander or manipulate or mock or spread gossip. Amen. So it starts there because we shouldn't be doing these things either. We shouldn't be trying to manipulate people. When it comes to Christianity, we shouldn't be doing bait and switch. We shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. And I think it's a very fair expectation and not just fair, but wise if we have content in our lives where others are trying to manipulate us, deceive us, slander, 
If they're engaging in these behaviors where they're mocking others in their beliefs, then I think it's wise to put distance between us and that content. Verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, if we had more time, I would really love to go down this path and do a word study on the Greek word that's translated here as discern. Because one of my sources said that a literal translation of the Greek text, instead of using the word discern, it's closer to the word test, that we're to test these things up and against scripture. And, and, and I'd love to spend more time on that. Why it, we as Christians are, are constantly trying to test everything up and against what the scriptures say. But for the sake of time, let's jump to 15, verse 15. This brings us back full circle to where we started. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of that time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I consulted at least half a dozen Bible commentaries as I was preparing this teaching, and several of them commented on the significance of the Greek term that is translated here as making the best use of. That term, making the best use of, that, or the term that, that we translate as making the best use of is something like this. My Greek is absolutely horrible, even worse than my Spanish, if you can believe it. Um, it's something like exagerezo or something like that. But the, the idea that it communicates is the idea of redeeming. What we see in a lot of our Bibles is make the best use of our time. If, it, if you're more literal, it would be redeem that time. And isn't that powerful imagery? In a world where so many things are broken and we're, and we're often drawn into the brokenness and we often have so much regret about the ways we've, we've, we've related to time in the past, we're invited to redeem the time, to redeem it. God's people who are walking in wisdom, we're invited to redeem the time and imagine if we did from a God and we sought help from a God who is for us. What if our devices then became tools that help us redeem the time to really connect with one another and to seek out truth and to seek out things that inspire us and build us up and equip us. Things that do entertain us and entertain us in a way that, that we can feel good about rather than a way that we quick click or switch when someone else walks into the room. We have one last fill-in online, and here it is. Most of us, we're not satisfied. Most of us, when we think of screens, we're not satisfied with our relationship with them. You don't want to be in that same place a year from now, do you? Do you? Do you? Okay. <laughs> Just check it. Because um, I don't. I don't. I don't want to be in the same place a year from now. So here's something I, I challenge you with. If you want to be in a better place next year, make the most of this opportunity to take a next step in the right direction. And one of the ways you could do it is to take that yellow sheep and make it your own. And to say, okay, what are some guardrails I'm going to put in place in my household, in my own life? I'd encourage you to do that and make the most of this opportunity to make some changes.